Welcome to Photo Taco, the only show with photography tips you can learn in the time it takes to eat a taco. Or perhaps a burrito. Photo Taco! Hey everybody, welcome into another episode of Photo Taco on the Improved Photography Network. I'm your host, Jeff Harmon. Thanks for spending a few minutes of your day with me. I've been joined in this episode by special guest and fellow Improved Photography podcaster, Brent Bergram of the Latitude Podcast. If you haven't taken a listen yet, you need to go and listen to he and Brian McGuckin talk all about travel photography. But today we're going to focus on something else. This is the second time Brent has joined me on the show. Thanks so much for spending the time today, Brent. Absolutely. Thank you for having me. Okay. So as we always do on Photo Taco, we kind of want to jump as fast as we can into this topic. We want to get down into the nitty gritty details and um, really go into the subject. So I asked Brent to come on this episode because I want to get an expert to help me understand how to shoot a solar eclipse. This is the type of photography I have never done. And we talked about it briefly on the Improved Photography Podcast a few weeks ago as we record this episode here in mid-May 2017. But if you didn't hear Brent talk about it there, don't worry. We're going to go over all of it in more detail because this episode is dedicated entirely to how to shoot the solar eclipse because we're going to have that coming up. Now, Brent, I have come up with a few questions I want to go through for photographers like me who have never attempted this. I kind of want to start off with that assumption, maybe go through this episode providing detailed instruction on how to get a good solar eclipse shot from a, for a photographer who's probably pretty competent with exposure triangles, shooting in manual mode, maybe done you know, a fair amount of landscape shooting and or portrait shooting. So they're comfortable with the camera in general, don't have to be an expert yet, but uh, kind of taking it from that level and just talking to everyone about how to shoot a solar eclipse. And if you're part of the Improved Photography Facebook group, you will have already seen an example of the kind of image that you can get of the full non-eclipsed sun, because Brent posted that a little earlier this week. We'll put a link to that in the show notes, but you do have to be a member of the group in order to go and see that. It's pretty incredible stuff, and I really want to get into it. Um, before we do though, I want to, uh, take just a second and thank the sponsor for this episode, which is the Improved photography retreat 2018. I think Brent, you'd agree that the 2017 retreat was a blast. You betcha. That <laughs> was, was a lot of fun. It was one of the primary goals of the retreat is to provide a fun learning experience for all skill levels of photography. There will, there will seriously be something for every type and experience level of photographer at the retreat. So even those who are just getting started, you are not left out. Don't feel like you have to have like massive gear to be able to go or or have years worth of experience. If you're just picking up a camera now, plan on buying a ticket and going to this retreat because it will be worth it. So if you're hearing this episode here in mid-May 2017, then tickets are available over at improvephotography.com slash retreat for just $459. And if you are a subscriber to Improve Photography Plus, or you're an alumni and attended the retreat in 2017, you can get tickets for $50 off. Only 250 spots available. And based on the feedback I've heard, and uh, so we've seen people in the, the Facebook group that was for the 2017 retreat saying they already got their tickets. So, so they're going fast. If you want to come, and I hope you do, I hope you want to, you'll consider buying a, a ticket and spending a week nerding out over photography with me and Brent and, and many of the other podcast hosts, along with some incredible non-IP photography talent, then I, I hope you'll consider that. Uh, and, and we hope to see you there. Okay, let's start off with the very first question. So first off, 
Tell us about the event coming up, Brent, later this year with the solar eclipse. When's the event? When's it going to happen? Where do you have to be to get the best view? Well, on August 21 of this year, 2017, the moon is going to be perfectly aligned between the sun and the earth. And that causes a shadow to be cast on the surface of the earth. And so we call that the solar eclipse. This is what I would call maybe a limited shadow in that it's not going to cover, you know, the whole earth. You're just going to have a pathway, if you will, that will be uh, in shadow. And so what you're going to be able to do as far as the best places, you got to probably find some maps online and we'll get into some uh, resources uh, in a moment on that. But... You only have a path that's, I can't remember exactly how wide it is, but it's certainly not very wide and, you know, maybe 50 miles or so, but don't quote me on that at this time. (laughs) Sure. And this is the first total solar eclipse to happen on the continental U.S. since 1979. I remember when I was a kid in school, roughly fifth grade, somewhere in there, uh, we had a partial solar eclipse where you just had the moon kind of skimming the edge of the sun. And you could see it with some special glasses or whatever. But this is a total solar eclipse hitting the the continental U.S. And you are going to have absolute blackout type conditions. Now, really, it's going to be more twilight-like conditions. It's not going to be completely dark blackout, but it'll be really dark compared to the new, to the regular you know noonday sky, if you will. Does it go kind of straight across the nation, or is it? Isn't it a like it's a diagonal cr- pattern? It's basically a diagonal pattern. It's going to essentially curve a little bit, too. That's part that is really interesting to me uh, as far as how it curves, because you kind of expect it to think, you know, oh, it's just going to go right across. And it's actually curving down. It starts in Oregon, uh, hits the Oregon coast uh, near Newport, and that is right on the coast there. The center of of the path will be just a little bit north of Newport. And so it'll move across the state from west to east. Other cities in Oregon will be uh, Albany, Salem, Madras, and John Day. And as it gets to eastern Oregon, certainly there's virtually nothing out there as far as population is concerned. But that's uh, kind of the path where it starts. And it'll take about uh, two minutes to two and a half minutes, depending where you are, where you will, if you're right in the center, you'll have what they call maximum totality, and you'll be able to experience the darkest of darks uh, for in the neighborhood of two minutes, two minutes, 40 seconds. It just depends on where you are, uh, whether it's Oregon or Tennessee or, or what have you. And it moves across the the map, if you will, moves across the land at about 2,800 miles per hour. So <laughs> that shadow is just going like gangbusters. And I think it'd be awesome if someone were to uh, resurrect the SR-71 or something like that and fly in it the whole Race time. It, that, yeah. <laughs> that, would be, that would be pretty awesome. But anyway... Uh, 2,800 miles per hour. So it starts in Oregon. It ends in South Carolina and everywhere in between uh, those two areas, you're going to have a little bit of it at least. If you're not in the direct shadow, will you still at least see it eclipsed? So if you're not in the direct shadow, you don't get what they call totality. And what you will see if you have some special glasses that you might be able to wear, or if you have a special filter for your camera, you would be able to see the partial. And so what you would get, again, depending on exactly where you're at, you would be able to either have a crescent shape for the sun 
you might have it, you know, like an apple bitten out if it's just a little bit on the side. Yeah. yeah. Depending on how far away from the center uh, you are, you'll have uh, you'll have varying degrees of eclipse. But the the be- the best part about it is if you're in that you're in that central area where you get the totality, you'll get to experience what they call uh, the total eclipse, and that is you're going to see then what they call the coronal disk, and that is the fiery yeah. stuff. I don't know exactly what it is. I'm not a sun scientist, but the fiery <laughs> stuff that is being ejected from the sun all the time, we're simply not able to see it because there's so much light being scattered in our atmosphere that it just blocks it and, you know, we can't really see it. But once that shadow is cast and then you're blocking the the direct, you know, parts from the direct part of the sun, you can see those fringes, those elements on the edge. And that's going to be really awesome to see, I think. I'm kind of imagining a, a doomsday movie. Like if people don't know, I don't know how they yeah. wouldn't. But if they didn't and all of a sudden it starts happening, like, oh, what is going on? I know. Yeah. If you're just crawling out of your bunker from 20 yeah. years, yeah, exactly. you know, whatever, and, and you're seeing that, it's like, whoops, this is the wrong time to come out. But... One place that I'd love to go, and, you know, this is kind of close to me. I drive by it all the time. Uh, as you're in Wyoming or Nebraska, some of these other places where it's hitting, try and think to yourself, number one, hopefully where there's no uh, population centers, uh, if, if that's at all possible. But number two, let's face it, wherever you go, there's going to be people flocking if it's in the path. And... One place that I'd like to go is actually a, an abandoned place called Lime, Oregon. There's an abandoned cement factory there with some old crumbling concrete buildings with lots of graffiti. I think it'd be pretty awesome to try and frame up some shots uh, out there. It's in the middle of absolute nowhere, but I'm pretty sure on August 21, it's going to be pretty full. Yeah, that'd make like the perfect post-apocalyptic yeah. <laughs> kind of environment. This it'd be sweet. This eclipsed sun and, the, and the, yeah, all the abandoned cement factory that's cool yeah all right so i i know photographers can rent gear from you and we're going to get to that in just a second but one of the things i know i've had listeners ask about not necessarily with the eclipse but a lot of photo taco listeners the reason they they follow the show and listen to the show is because we try really hard to to make the most out of the gear you have and sure, absolutely. We, and, and so we, I, I wanted to spend just a second and say, what what can we do with the gear that a lot of people probably already have? Their DSLR, most of them are going to have that or mirrorless, some kind of uh, interchangeable lens camera. And most likely you're going to have people that have a, a 200, 70 to 200. It might be kind of the longest focal length that's, that's sure. pretty common. So is it possible to get something decent with that? Kind of tell me what you think people could do with the, the gear they may already have. Yeah, I think it will be decent, especially, you know, some folks, you might have a 70 to 300 as well. Yeah, Because right. a 70 to 300 f5.6 is a fairly common as well. But let's focus on that 200. Uh, I have some numbers on that to think about. So if you have a 200 millimeter lens on your camera, it doesn't matter which camera you're talking about, whether it's crop sensor or, or full frame, it's going to create uh, the sun will be the size, you know, the little disc, if you will, that it will create on your sensor it's going to be 1.8 millimeters in size if you have a 200 millimeter lens. So that's fairly small. Yeah. But what you also kind of, I think I would encourage people to think about is 1.8 millimeters isn't that bad. Uh, when you're on a crop sensor, 
your uh, the the size is roughly 16 millimeters across. Mm-hmm. So 1.8 off of that, or if you're on a full frame, it's 24 millimeters across on the short edge. So 1.8, it is kind of, you might think it's kind of on the tiny side, but it's not terrible. And you'd still be able to get something uh, that is turning out. Uh, another benefit of that is you have a little more time. In fact, you might have the full two minutes without having to move the tripod because it will move across the frame. Yeah, right. But you're probably not going to have to move the tripod. When I had set up my rig for that shot that I posted on the Facebook group, I was having to move the tripod two or three times in the matter of about five minutes, maybe, or less uh, in the shots that I was getting because it's so highly magnified and, you know, the earth is turning and all that. Right. So at 1.8 millimeters, again, that's kind of small. However, we mentioned that coronal disc that is going to be in the neighborhood of at least two times, depending on your exposure and all that and, and conditions, but it's going to be at least two times the size of the disc of the sun. Really? And you might even get it depending again on conditions. You might even get it to be three, maybe even four times the size. So it's going to, once it's in totality, you're going to have a lot more space that you're going to want to have the wider angle anyway, you know, 200 Certainly is a zooming in, but you're going to be able to capture some of that detail uh, where if you were all zoomed in at 800, you're going to be cropping yeah, that, that coronal. coronal disc. So you don't you may not want to stick it in like the upper third, upper left third or something because right. you might miss some of that. Right. Definitely center it up. And that's where your sharpest results are going to be anyway. Right. Like I've also said with some people up too, it's like, let's face it. It's a black and white image. Literally black and literally white or close to it and there's going to be very uh little nuance of detail until you get that coronal disc you're going to start seeing some nuance where these flames are just kind of just you know licking out from the center of the sun area and so that's when you're going to want to really pay attention to your exposure but uh when it comes to uh setting up the shot and getting it ready and you're just getting the sun only you know it's a disc of color and it's not that detailed and if but get yourself if in the not, center of the lens you'll be all right if you're not in the shadow and it's only a semi eclipse will right. you not get the coronal disc at all you're not going to get it at all yeah okay you'll just get a bite out of the, the sun <laughs> right you'll have a, a certain bite out of the sun uh, of some sort yeah. another thing i'd like to encourage people to think about you know because maybe you don't uh, have that or maybe you want to think about you know uh, a, a disc that's flaming maybe doesn't excite you. And so <laughs> I can understand that. Uh, <laughs> but, you know, okay. But even if it doesn't, the things that you can learn by trying to do this oh, are yeah. so valuable. And that's kind of what I would want to encourage the listeners. Even if you Mess- have zero interest in capturing yeah. capturing this, even if you're not in the in the shadow, Trying to get right. out there, figuring out how to get your gear set up the right way and not destroy it, which we're going to go over in a little right. bit. Right. And and the things that you can learn, because this is something that you won't do very often, nope. that, that is very valuable things. I find it really helpful for me, even though I don't, I won't be doing this type of photography a lot. It doesn't happen that often. So right. I won't be doing it. The act of trying really helps you to learn a lot more about how to use your camera. Most definitely. But another thing to think about, too, is what if you were to have, say, a 50 millimeter lens, that disc is of the sun, you know, just a pure sun is going to be so bloomin' small. 
it's almost not worth it to even think about if that's what you're going for. But what if you're in a city like Nashville is one of the biggest cities in the U.S. that will uh, be able to have full totality and it's really close to the center of it, too. So if you live in Nashville or thereabouts, maybe you could get downtown and frame up some of the buildings. Maybe if you're out in the mountains, you're going to be able to frame up uh, a tree, uh, a cliff's edge, something along those lines, because you're going to be in twilight type conditions. And it certainly is going to be dark, but it's not going to be pitch black. And so you'll be able to have this glowing disc up in the sky above you. It'll look hollow because the the moon is blocking, you know, of course. But think about how you can frame up some foreground elements and you might get a really intriguing image. And uh, it could be just that piece that, you know, makes it makes it what it is, makes it awesome. Right. Uh, That cement factory I talked about, you know, that would be awesome. I would love to be able to have a long lens on a tripod to get those close up shots. But then I'm going to have another camera if I were to be there. I won't. But I'll I would have another camera uh, where I'm handheld and I would run around, you know, looking for these compositions or where I've already composed or pre-composed some ideas uh, from these compositions to where I would have that thing up in the corner and I would have some kind of structure in the foreground and I would certainly work the composition, work the exposures. I've only got two minutes. So yeah, right. it's right. going to come and it's going to go and you've got just a little bit of time to figure it out. So scout out beforehand if you can and it'll, it, you know, it, that could help you too. It's an, it's another but, reason I think it's super helpful. You can learn that part of it. If you've never tried to plan out a shoot like this, right. that's going to be, you're going to really test your skills <laughs> being able to do that here. It's Definitely. it's going to be something that's that's tough to get set up, tough to have be right. You can figure out how to use the PhotoPills app or, or an app like that to help you plan it. It's right. really just going to help you learn a lot about how to do this. Uh, yeah, it's a great exercise. Okay, so for those who do want to try to make the very most of this event, it, it hasn't happened very often. It's not going to come around again here in the continental U.S. very soon. So you want to take advantage of this. I know you've got some equipment and there's you, there's other rental yeah. companies that can do it. So tell me about that. Do you still have rentals sure. available and what do they do to, to rent from you? You bet. So if you want to fill the frame with the sun, and by filling, I don't mean like complete absolute filling uh, really about half the frame is is possible if you're on a crop sensor camera with about 800 millimeters you're going to have that's the crazy. sun <laughs> ab- at about half the frame across so that's about 12 millimeters in size uh, as, as far as the size of the, the image uh, maybe a little less um, than that even if you're only filling about half that across though uh you're going to get, I'm sorry, it's 8.3 millimeters in size. I'm referencing my notes here. So it's it's roughly that size. So most folks, you may not have that. Um, so your 1 to 400 is available. That's a good option uh, with a 2X extender. That combination has already been rented from my inventory, but I still have the 1.4X extender that's available for the Canon system. And I have two more 1 to 400 lenses. I have a 1 to 400 for the Fuji system. And then my 200 to 500 is already taken for the Nikon. Uh, but I also have a 150 to a 600 that's available. So lots of options available. But when you get that coronal disc, if you're at that 800 millimeters, you would want to zoom out from 400 because you just want to be able to fit in that coronal disc. So yeah. that's really a good setup because you could get really close 
as that totality is coming in. And if you wanted to crop the coronal disc, you could, but then you would want to use that zoom ring to zoom it back out and you'd be able to get the whole thing uh, without having to switch everything up. And and that would be a pretty good uh, setup to have. So maybe going uh, back out to like 300? Yeah, pull it back to three or 200 and somewhere in that range yeah, and you okay. would get the full thing. Yeah. With the 2X extender. With the 2X, that's correct. If you're okay. on the 400 by itself, you uh, would be able, you should be able to get the full coronal disc without zooming it back out. Yeah, okay. So the I said I have the uh, 15600 still available. That's on the Canon. That certainly would be good to use. But the extenders that I have, the Canon extenders, actually don't work on that lens. So it's just going to be straight up. Uh, if you find uh, the the Sigma extenders, those will certainly work on that lens. But even if you don't just have 200, just, again, I still say you're going to be okay. Right. Uh, you'll be able to get that kernel disc uh, looking pretty good. You will need a solar filter when you're doing this. When you're zooming in, you're putting a lot of solar energy into your camera if you're unfiltered. And so you don't want to fry your eyes and you don't want to fry your camera. Okay, so uh, so help me with this, though. Yeah. I've taken plenty of pictures where I have the sun in the scene, right? Right. Tons of right. them. Is it because of the the duration, how long you might be pointing your camera at? Or what is it that's dangerous about the sun in this particular situation that's different from all the landscape shots I've done with the sun in the scene? Right. It has to do a little bit with the, the opening of the lens that you have. But, you know, you're probably shooting with a maybe a possibly a, a 24 to 70. And if you got the 2470 f2.8, that's what, an 82 millimeter lens opening? Uh, so that's a pretty large lens opening, but you're also not zooming in all that much. When you're zooming in and you're concentrating just on the sun, you're bringing all that solar energy, you know, because you're probably framing it up before the totality happens. Right. And so right. you have all that solar energy coming in. And I actually prefer just using live view. Uh, there's no reason you shouldn't be using live view, if, especially if you have a camera that has a, a swing out right. uh, screen that's awfully convenient. And then you don't even have to put your eyes up to it. But with all that energy coming in as you're setting it up, that's really where you're you're running into trouble. It's just going to build up. It's going to fry your sensor if you don't have that solar filter. Okay, so like from heat or just because the, the number of photons hitting it? Yeah, the number of photons, I would say, is is where you're at. It's, it's going to build up heat for sure because there's so yeah. much energy coming in. And so you want to block it out. And they've got some... Uh, great solar filters that I've tested. That's what I was using when I test uh, put that shot on the Facebook group. I bought it on Amazon. It's 10 bucks. You can't go wrong. Now, this is the four inch one. However, if you need a bigger one, say for a bigger lens, then of course you're going to want to uh, buy the bigger ones. But so they have them a six inch is $20. But just reading off of the package here, it says the, the transmission of light on this filter is one one thousandth of 1%. So it's like the biggest ND filter ever. It is an absolutely biggest <laughs> ND filter. I read that and I was like, I should take that to the ocean and do like a five hour exposure. Yeah, right. <laughs> It'll See be what glass. happens. Uh, midday, five hour exposure. Yeah, yeah. I've got the entire tide coming in and going out kind of an idea. But that, yeah, it's insane. Wow. <laughs> how much that, how much that blocks out. I've also heard of people and I've read of people using 
welding masks that uh, that's about a 17 stop oh right which if i were to do the the math maybe this is 17 stops i haven't done the math so i don't really know i'm just reading off what it says here and this item is made for telescopes but you can easily just use it on your camera just as easily it works and, just and you mentioned well. before we started you could just kind of tape it over the top of the lens it's all you do it's a very thin plastic mm-hmm. and uh four pieces of gaffer tape does the trick and it only needs to be there for two minutes you really well put <laughs> right. it on there beforehand sure sure but but it, then it's but not then like once it needs it happens, to stay on for a, a two-hour shoot at the ocean ex- so <laughs> exactly exactly so gaffer will be great okay you betcha all right so let's go to settings now because i'd have absolutely no idea and when you only have two minutes that would be like the worst possible thing for me it would be like i have no idea what settings i should use and you start at one and your meter is going to probably be useless and you're trying different things and then, oh, it's over and you missed it. So right. I want to go over. All right. So where would be like the starting point? What should you do as you're getting started so that uh, you are ready to go and maybe make some fine tuning adjustments depending on your area and what the, the actual conditions are? Where would they start at? You bet. So I can only speak to my use of this particular filter and the link is in the show notes. And again, it's only 10 bucks on Amazon. So if you're out there uh, at 400 millimeters, and I did put the 2X extender on there. So my aperture is F11. So it's an F5.6 lens at a 400. You put the 2X extender on there. You're taking out two stops of light. Right. And so that takes it down to F11. So I shot it wide open at F11. And that under normal circumstances is pretty small. But, you know, we're talking about the sun. Right. With all its energy coming directly in. So at uh, 400 ISO is what I was uh, having it set at. At f11, I was getting my best exposures in the area of 100, excuse me, 1 640th of a second. So my my screen on my camera was just set to 640, 640. And so it really depends on how bright you want to make the sun, though, because like I said before, you have the darkness around the sun, which is going to be black. And you have the sun itself. How bright do you want to make it? Just yeah. adjust your aperture or your shutter or even your ISO for that matter accordingly. I would recommend a faster shutter speed, especially if you're really, really zooming in. Because this is where that 500 second rule comes in or that 500 rule, right. I should say, comes right. in. When you're at 800 millimeters, you know, you divide that by 500, you better be pretty fast. Well. Yeah. 640th is obviously very fast comparatively, but there might be some camera shake. There might be some other things going on. Just want to make sure, sure we're really dialing it in. And then I activated the two second delay so I could hit the button, back my hand off. It allows some time for those shakes of my hitting the button to dissipate. And then it takes the the image. And since I'm using live view, I also don't have to worry about the mirror slap. So are you confident that I, I saw your images and they looked very, uh, you know, orange that made yeah. the, it made the sun look really orange, which was really cool. It was, it's, it's really neat to see that when it, the, the light is, uh, you know, reduced so much so you can actually see mm-hmm. the orange there. Right. Does that, the, the coronal ring should look kind of that orange then? Is that the expectation? The renditions I've seen on the, on the internet have have the coronal disc more as a, a white uh, rendition. It does depend on your filter. So this filter does make things a little bit more on the orange side of things, but you're also not receiving the direct the the direct uh, energy from the sun. 
you're seeing uh, more indirect energy. So it's possible it could change color that since I don't have, I haven't experienced it exactly myself and I'm not yeah. uh, sure exactly how they're processing their images. I've seen it come out more white than orange though. Okay. From and what I've seen online. It, and may have to, so do you recommend you'll, you kind of start there. Then you need to maybe look in live view, maybe even look at the histogram too. try to see, well, do I have right. more room to, to get closer to the right and, uh, and try to, to get more, of the light in there and just adjust from there. Right. So I, I was noticing when I get a little too far to the right, it simply starts to flare a little bit. Uh, I don't know if it's an, an act of the filter or just the fact that it's such a um, strong concentration of, of just this one area that's being lit. So I was noticing a little bit of a flare and that's where I uh, kept it down a little bit. So I wouldn't have the flare and I would have a harder edge uh, right around uh, the edge of the sun. But that is something to think about, though. When you're in totality, you're going to want to either rock that ISO up or you're going to want to take that shutter speed down because you are seeing the incidental or the secondary type energy. You're not seeing that direct energy that's just coming directly from the sun. Right. So you, you be prepared that this is just the starting point. Exactly. And over those two minutes, you've got to be ready and comfortable enough changing the settings on the camera that you can adjust to the environment as it's happening. You betcha. Yeah. Okay. How about for, so, so you talked about if you had the gear that you were talking about, 400 lens, uh, the extender, you end up at F11. What about if it's that 70 to 200? So the same settings would apply if your intent is to just render the sun and render the render the uh, coronal disk. The same practice would apply. If you're looking to to frame up some other objects in the app in the, in the environment that you have, then what I, I might recommend taking off the filter or doing away with a filter. But I still have a problem with saying point that 200 millimeter lens up straight at the sun and let it pour in. You know, if you're at a wider angle, yeah, it's not a big deal. But with 200, at least for me, I want to play it safe and not recommend people do that. Uh, would hate to have you fry your your, yeah. your camera if you do that. But you you would want to at least temporarily say, okay, you know, that frame up looks good. It's happening in five minutes. You know, I'll point it away for five minutes and wait for totality to come. Sure, sure. But again, you might still you might still want to have something on there so you can get it as it's coming and you know as the uh as the sun is being chipped away by the moon uh you and being uh taken out maybe you could have the the camera locked down and you're planning for this transition as it as the sun moves across your frame and you could take a series of shots when the totality happens possibly think about ripping that filter off so you can get the ambient items exposed properly. And then when the totality ends, you put the filter back on. So you continue getting that sun as it's being chipped away less and less. And then you could composite an image where you have it coming and coming and then totality. And that's what the whole body of the image is. And then it going away again, that could be an interesting composition to think about. Yeah. Okay. Now, if listeners don't know, if, if you're beginners and you've not yet figured out how to use a histogram, 
you're going to have to look in your owner's manual on how it is you can even pull that up. It's uh, on Canon's the one that I'm most familiar with. You go into live view and then you hit an info button and, and enough times it'll show up. And it's this, yeah. little, this little graph that shows you all the all the some, some data there. And if you don't know what it means, it's really meaningless. So if you don't, there is a photo taco episode where I went through in detail how to use a histogram. So you can just search on Google photo space taco space histogram and that episode will come right up. You can go listen to that. So that could help you be better prepared to uh, to change those settings and be more reactive. And it's a great way to learn how to be competent in manual mode. You'll have those two minutes. You're going to be scrambling, but um, it would be a tremendous exercise to learn how to really leverage that histogram. Make sure you understand the exposure triangle and how to shoot in manual mode. Perfect exercise to really stretch your skills if you don't know what all that means yet. Um, okay, so now if they want to get more, we, we talked a little bit about this, but I want to go into to detail on it. If they want to get more than just the sun, if we want to create that scene, that post-apocalyptic screen, scene we were talking about, and you want to include a foreground with the sun, how can they do that? Is it possible in a single shot or do you really have to plan for compositing? I think it's possible in a single shot because... If you were to go out, let's see, yeah, it's happening on Monday. Hopefully folks can take the day off because it is happening during the midday as well. So you got to think about the sun is going to be really high. It's not like it's going to be on the horizon or even close to the horizon. It's going to be quite high in the sky. So what can, what can be done as far as the elements, you know, for instance, in Cheyenne, Wyoming, just north of Wyoming, it's going to peak at about uh, 11.45 a.m. So that's almost noontime. Yeah. You know, what kind of shot might you be able to get in that region? That could be difficult. You right. know, think about maybe trees. Uh, Cheyenne certainly is a city, but this is going to be north of Cheyenne, about 70 miles or so. So where it's happening. So you get, do have a river running through there. Maybe there's something with the river you can do. Maybe you could do... Uh, a stitched panorama where you have something, a, a bend in the river, and then you you pan up and you see it. Right. And so you have a vertical panorama that could work as well. But it's really going to take some scouting, I think, and a lot of planning to say, okay, the sun is there at this time of day, three days from now or two days from now, whatever. Maybe you go out on Saturday or Sunday to do your scouting. You know, a, a day or two from now, it's going to be, you know, pretty much in the same location right, right. at yeah. this time. Uh, what can I do? And then you'd be able to figure it out potentially and kind of plan for it. Just also plan for other photographers. I would say get there early, stake out your your <laughs> your spot yeah. and sharpen your elbows because you, other photographers will probably be there too. Right. And, and what a way to make your photo stand out. So, I mean, if you've never done it before, like I, I'd probably be just really ecstatic just to get the coronal disc. I'd be super oh, happy yeah. with just that. <laughs> but, but there's probably going to be hundreds and thousands of these kinds of photos that are going to be shared and, and people look at mm -hmm. mine, look at mine. The And if you get a really good one, that will help to, to make it stand apart. But even better would be if you could manage to put some kind of foreground element with it. That you just betcha. would be a whole different level and uh, and probably draw a lot of attention to yourself if you had that type of photo coming out of it. So that would be pretty amazing. Okay, so it that would be tough though, getting those those things and getting a foreground element with such a zoom, that it's just a challenge, which is great. Oh, That's, yeah. It's a, a really fun problem to try to go and solve. I don't know if I'm going to be able to swing it to get somewhere with the total eclipse. It's going to be north of me. 
And, yeah. Uh, I don't know if I'll, I'll be able to, but I really would I'm, love to. I'm really not liking the fact that at least right now, I'm not going to be able to swing it either. I will be in Northern Illinois or Indiana on our summer vacation. And I'm doing a workshop in Chicago area for that too. And um, I'm going to miss it. <laughs> and yeah. it's kind of hurting, but... Uh, you know, we we have so much other stuff going on. It'll be all right. But I'll at least try to get something wherever I'm at. <laughs> right, because you'll still have a partial. Yeah, where you where you're at there in uh in Utah. Yep. In fact, even all the way down as far as Texas, you'll still have some partial. Sure. So so you'd get a little bit of of something being clipped out of the sun there. Okay, we talked briefly about the dangers that you can burn up your sensor, which none of us want to do, and we really recommend that filter to avoid it. But what other dangers are there? Are there other things we need to be aware of as you're going to go out and shoot this? Well, just simply looking at it and trying to uh, frame it up. And especially if you're looking at it through your viewfinder, that's going to enhance the energy. So watch out for your eyes as well. Uh, Amazon has plenty of, of uh, cheap glasses that you can wear to that are the same solar uh, material. Oh, wow. uh, that would be fairly difficult to frame up and look at your camera, though. Yeah. So you know, set up your camera and maybe then give the the glasses to your compadre that's with you or something like that because, you know, they want to enjoy it too. So really it's just about not frying your gear and not frying your eyes. That's that's the main <laughs> idea. And make sure if you get that filter, you know, it goes on the outside, certainly the, the very front element, and then the shiny side is towards the sun. Okay, good. But if you're using a 50 or shorter lens, I'm not convinced, at least for myself, I'm not convinced that if you're pointing it up that you're going to just fry it because it's 50 millimeters or shorter, you're probably not going to be bringing that much solar energy into it. And so I just don't see it being as dangerous. I still wouldn't look at the sun directly through the uh, viewfinder in any circumstance, even if I'm framing up with a 20 millimeter and I have the sun in the viewfinder, I still don't look directly at the sun. It just ruins my eyesight. Uh, and I can't see the shadow details and I can't understand the other parts of the image. So I still wouldn't look directly at it, but even at, at 50, you'd be able to get some of that comp- composing going with some foreground elements. And you'd probably be all right with that without the filter. Okay. All right. All right. That sounds good. Um, well, we're coming to the end here. I think those, those are pretty much uh, dealing with the, the questions that I had. Um, I'm excited. I really hope I can, I don't know. <laughs> we have to see if we, I can, know. if we can schedule a weekend getaway or something during that time. It's near my anniversary, so maybe we can use that. <laughs> All the places are already booked. Yeah. Uh, pretty much everywhere. You just have to assume it's already booked, so you'd be driving in. Right. I would say at least an hour to two hours. Sure, sure. Uh, before you can find a place that you'd be able to stay in. Okay. Well, before we close up, I want to thank you again, Brent, for joining me. Been so fun to have you on again. I'm sure we will have you on, you know, the next time I have a lens thing that I just don't know how to answer. (laughs) Awesome. (laughs) That'll be great. Uh, Where can people find you, your work and your, your gear rental business? Yeah, you can find me on Facebook. I've got two pages. Brent Bergham photo is my personal photography uh, Brent Rents Lenses on Facebook. Just search that. And of course, in the Latitude group, I'm uh, fairly active there helping people with travel plans and the whatnot. 
uh, with the Latitude uh, podcast group. You can find me on Instagram at Kaliwala, and I have been really bad this last roughly a year, maybe. <laughs> uh, but I promise I'm going to get better this summer. I've got so much going on this summer. There's going to be about I've I've looked at the calendar from June until September, the end of September. I've got about 12 weeks that I am going to be out of town. Wow. I'll be I'll be busy, and I'll be putting at least some of that on Instagram. And then you can find me, uh, personal website, brentbergherm.com. And then you also can find information about my Chicago workshop there. Uh, but then I also have my brentrentslenses.com for my rental business. And I just wanted to toss out there, uh, I am running a kind of a special for this. If you rent a lens that is 400 millimeters or longer, and you rent it for a week, that includes the Eclipse. I'm going to include one of these filters for you. You don't have to worry about buying it. It'll just be right in the box. And then I'm also going to be doing a video that I'll certainly share with the whole IP family. And I'll be doing a video on how to set it up and how to shoot it. And it will kind of go off of what we talked about here, but maybe a little more simple. I'm just going to really be focusing on the the practice of shooting. And I'll certainly talk about settings that in there as well, but mm-hmm. just the practice of shooting and some of the safety tips that I've learned too. All right. And for the listeners, the, the last name is spelled just like it sounds, but it, you may, betcha. Be, it may be hard <laughs> to get it. So it's B-E-R-G-H-E-R-M, Berger. You you got it. All right. We'll have some links to the, the Amazon filter, the filter you can buy on Amazon, not an Amazon filter, and, uh, and the Facebook group. So you can see the sample image that Brent already took and practiced with. And, uh, and I'll put, if I remember, I will put a link to that histogram episode as well. So you can check that out in the show notes. All right. Thanks again, Brent. Um, that's it for this episode. I hope you all enjoyed it. As a quick reminder, you can suggest topics for the show through the Facebook group, which you can find at facebook.com slash groups slash photo taco Instagram, my messaging at photo taco podcast. would love to have you tag the images that you're working so hard on and, and share them with us or through the normal email address, which I've had a lot of people say that they're really glad I have an email because they don't like Facebook and they're not on Instagram. So they like having a way that they can communicate with me. That's neither of those. And that's phototacopodcast at gmail.com. No question too basic or too complicated for the show. I'll bring on an expert like Brent if I don't know anything about it like this one <laughs> and uh, and we'll go through it. Don't forget to check out the other podcasts on the Improved Photography Network. We have Portrait Session, Tripod, Brent's Latitude Podcast, and of course, Improved Photography. Also, you've got to take some time. Head over to the mothership, improvephotography.com. Have constant articles that are super helpful. I've learned a lot just this week on some of the things that have been published out there. News, gear, and other photo tip articles that are being updated pretty much every day. If you're not going every morning over to improvephotography.com to check out what's new, then you're missing out on a lot of opportunities to learn and improve your photography. It is the best way to improve your photography. The views expressed on this program by independent host guests and callers do not necessarily reflect their views of improved photography LLC or its advertisers. Some links mentioned on this program are affiliate links where a permission is earned. Olay!